recently heard a poll uh, given to regular churchgoers, and the regular churchgoers that were polled uh, were asked about whether or not they trusted their pastors. And in general, we trust our pastors, but the survey found there was a list of topics that people didn't want their pastor's input on. The topics were family planning, child rearing, sex, careers, financial decision-making, medical decision-making, and voting. Everything, yeah. So pretty much, we want to come to church and hear about the Israelites in the wilderness and the great kingdom of God in the future, but we don't want anybody to tell us how to live our lives today. That's too bad. (laughs) We're going to be talking about justice this morning, and we're going to get into some places that might make you feel uncomfortable, because we often talk, uh, we often make these topics that we're going to go over political, we say we, we're not supposed to talk about that in church or because it's, it's a political topic. And, and I find there's an author named Sky Jitani, and I find his um, words helpful. He differentiates between the word political and the word partisan. To be partisan means you, you tell people who to vote for, what to think about issues. And I don't think the church is meant to be partisan. But... Sky Jitani and would say this, and I would agree that I think the church should be more political because the things that deal with the political world, po- politics means for the city, the care of the city. So what happens in government, these are things that the Bible has something to say about. And so we shouldn't fear talking about issues that might be scary to talk about. We should lean into those because God's word has something to say Because if we don't, as Christians, talk about these things, we stand the risk of being discipled more by the media that we consume, whatever that preferred media is, than scriptures and the Word of God. I ran across, um, I'm on Twitter a lot, it's not good for me. I try, try to cut back. Um, but I ran across a, a discussion a, a number of weeks ago, and um, someone was commenting on a post. And on Twitter, you can put a little bio of who you are or what you stand for. And, and I clicked on this person's bio, and it said, Liberty, Guns, Bible, Jesus. And I thought, those are all in the wrong order, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's just not the order they should go in. And so we want to be people that put Jesus at the front of that order, no matter what we believe politically. So we're going to dive into this section of Matthew uh, and talk about a few different things. So verse 15 says, Jesus was aware of this. So we have to back up a little bit. What is he aware of? If you were here last week, we we talked about him uh, going out and letting his disciples eat from the grain on the Sabbath. The Pharisees didn't like that. He was breaking their law. And his response was basically, well, I'm the king, I wrote the law, I know what my guys can do. And he rebuked the Pharisees, and the Pharisees got mad about that, because a lot of the Pharisees, the religious teachers in Israel, a lot of their power came from their ability to shape the laws that 
the people had to follow. You can do this, you can't do this. And, and if you really want to follow God, you have to listen to the Pharisees because they have a ticket to what it really means to be a follower of Yahweh. And so Jesus pushed back against their power and they didn't like that. And so they decided they're going to figure out how to kill him. That's verse 14. Verse 15 says, Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. What I love about this is Jesus is never the victim. He, he's fleeing a credible threat against his life. If that was me, hey guys, leave me alone. I've gone through a lot today. Somebody's trying to kill me. I can't handle the crowds right now. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus welcomes these people in the midst of this uh, chaos in his world, and he pours himself out in service to others. Jesus always has agency. He's never reacting to circumstances. He's always acting on them. We see this when he uh, is arrested later in this story. He's, this mob is going to show up to arrest him, and he's going to say stuff like, you know, you, can't, you couldn't arrest me if I didn't want you to. He's going to say, hey, my friends, you're going to let them go. Peter's going to cut off somebody's ear, and he's going to go, hey, Peter, we're not going to fight this battle, and he's going to heal the guy's ear. Jesus is always in charge. And there are legitimate times that people are victimized, that evil things happen. And maybe even to us in this room, terrible things have happened. And there are, there are times that we need to take care of ourselves. We need to allow other people to take care of us. But most of the time when something negative happens to me, I just, I just want to feel sorry for myself. And I also want to retaliate. My wife and I are in the process of selling our home. And we've got this complicated thing where we're, we're, we're selling our house and we've got a contingent offer on a piece of land and, and the, 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 the buyer of our house is financing, having problems. And long story short, it's making it very complicated and it's going to possibly cost us money. And my initial response is, I need to figure out how to retaliate against this person that's doing me wrong. I need to make them pay for that. But that's not Jesus' response. Jesus is attacked by people and he... Instead of attacking back, he goes and finds people to minister to. Look at verse 16. He warned them not to make him known so that what, might, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So Jesus heals all these people. He does miraculous supernatural things. People who couldn't walk, walk again. People with terminal illnesses don't have them anymore. People who are deaf can hear, the blind can see. This crazy stuff is happening because of Jesus' power. And he says, hey guys, don't tell anybody. Jesus isn't trying to gain a following. I, was, I, I, I have a new friend who's a marketing agent and we were talking about our church's social media strategy for whatever that's worth. And uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I said the word hype. And he responded, you know, I've never, used, I've, I've never heard the word hype in a negative context before, because that's how I apparently used it. And he said, you know, when I market, I want, if, I, if I'm trying to promote a business, I want hype. I want people to be like really buzzed about it. And I just, I look at the ministry of Jesus and I don't see that. 
He's just quietly, unassumingly getting stuff done, helping people, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's not building a brand. He's not an influencer. (laughs) Apparently that's a job now. It's a good job, I guess. (laughs) But Matthew sees this, and Matthew, a Jewish man who knows his Old Testament, he goes, you know what? Jesus is fulfilling this role from the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes from Isaiah 42, the beginning of what's called the servant's song. And this series of chapters in Isaiah is about the servant of Yahweh who would come and bring good news to the poor and and justice to the nations and do all of these things. And um, we are often familiar with a few chapters later in Isaiah where Isaiah says this this servant will suffer for the sins of the people and he will be killed. And we recognize that this is Jesus that the prophet is talking about. And Matthew points this out and he quotes this first section. In verse 18, here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my, ser- my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. So Isaiah talks about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus is born and says, this is the servant of God, the one that's been chosen by Yahweh, filled with the Spirit. This is important. We've talked about this fairly often, but Jesus is the divine Son of God. We we worship a trinity, which is a kind of being that we have no other... um, no other example of in the world. So we don't really understand what that means, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God, one being and three persons. But what's clear in the New Testament is that when Jesus is on earth, he's not primarily operating as the King and the Savior because he's the Son of God. He's operating as the King and the Savior because he is the perfect spirit-filled human being. And we're very quick to um, elevate Jesus as God, which we should, but sometimes we forget that he's also a man. The prophecy in Isaiah says, I will put my spirit on him. And this is the plan throughout the entirety of the scripture. See, God says, I'm going to build a world and I'm going to create people and they're going to co-rule this world with me. They're going to be my, my children and kings and queens on the earth, leading and ruling and subduing nature, building and worshiping and having a relationship with me. And everything's going to be awesome. And it is for like two chapters. And then Adam and Eve, they blow it. They seek their own wisdom instead of God's wisdom and they sin and and they break the world and and, and it just, it mars and, and, and distorts everything about our lives. But then a little later on, we get this guy Noah and Noah is blameless in his generations. Is this gonna be the guy that does it? Adam and Eve fail, but Noah is gonna be good and righteous and follow God and nope, he screws up too. And then we find Abraham, and and it looks really promising. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But then 
Abraham's life is kind of a mess also. And all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we get person after person after person where the story is, met, is, is shaped to make us go, is this the guy? King David, a man after God's own heart, is he going to be the guy that lives in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and, and, and walks with God completely? Nope. And then by the time we get to Isaiah, Isaiah says, someone is coming, the servant of Yahweh, and I'm going to fill him with my spirit, and he is going to succeed where everyone else has failed. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus, the divine son of God, emptying himself of that power and authority, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, and becoming a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit, living in perfect relationship to God himself others, and the world. And this is what Jesus does. And one of the reasons why this is important, other than it's just what the Bible teaches, is that it's really easy to look at the life of Jesus and go like, well, Jesus is awesome, but I'm not Jesus. So, I mean, obviously Jesus was holy and he obeyed God and he had this spiritual life and he got up early to pray, but that's Jesus. I can't do that. And in some sense, we are, we are flawed, we are broken people, we have sin in our lives where Jesus didn't. But the reality is, if, if you're a Christian, if you've, if you've turned from your sin and your own self-righteousness and decided to follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, the same Spirit of God that Jesus operated in, in power. And so in some sense, we can look at Jesus, and he even says this, my, my people, you're going to do greater things than I have done. We can look at Jesus and go, okay, so what does it mean for us as Jesus' people filled with the Spirit of God to walk as Jesus walked? And so God's Spirit is upon him, and what's going to happen? He's going to proclaim justice to the nations, a lot, of, a lot of us in the church struggle with the word justice, uh, and the reason for that is really odd, I think, but, but, but it's, it's kind of how culture and history works. Back in the 1920s, there was a fight in the church. It was called the modernist fundamentalist controversy, and there was a group of scholars who said, you know what? We're modern people. We're smart people. We read the Bible, and we know that miracles aren't true. So there was no virgin birth. Uh, the water didn't get turned into wine, and Jesus never rose from the dead. But we still like the nice things that Jesus said, so we're going to hold on to Christianity, but we're not going to believe anything supernatural. And then there was another group that said, hold on, no, 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 no. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is authoritative and inerrant, and we believe in a God that can do anything. So the supernatural is real, and Jesus really was born of a virgin, and he really did these miracles, and he really rose from the dead. And so these two schools fought in the early 20th century about this. And out of this modernist school came a generation of Christians who did not believe in the power of the Word of God, but they still liked what it felt like to be a Christian. And so they decided, you know what, let's not tell anybody about sin. 
let's not tell anybody about the resurrection because that's probably not true. Let's just tell everybody to be nice to each other. Let's just fix hunger and, and alleviate poverty and um, just do good things because that's really the core of the Bible's teaching. And the fundamentalist said, no, the core of the Bible's teaching is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the tradition I came from sprung out of what's called evangelicalism, which came out of the fundamentalism of the early 20th century. And we hold to a supernatural view of the text of Scripture, that this is God's Word, and it's inerrant, and, and the miraculous that Jesus accomplishes actually happened. But because of that, some of us in, in my church tradition are a little bit scared when people talk about justice. Because what if, what if when we talk about justice, we forget the gospel? We forget the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead. If we, if we focus on helping people, Maybe we're going to slip into this, what's called the social gospel. But a new generation of Christians has come up and come of age and, and decided, you know what? It's not because Jesus didn't rise from the dead that we should help people instead. It's because Jesus actually did rise from the dead that we should be people that promote justice in the world. And an example of this is this text, that one of the missions of the Messiah the good news about Jesus is that he's going to proclaim justice to the nations. The word nation is ethnos. It means people group. The work of Jesus is for every people group all around the world. We've, we've seen just the ugly head of what's called white nationalism lately in the news. Recently, a whole bunch of people lost their lives because of that philosophy. And it's wicked. The idea that a certain ethnic group is better than another one is from the devil. And it, it's just doubly wicked that oftentimes white supremacy is combined in some weird sense with the Christian faith because it does not belong here. We worship a Middle Eastern Jew. <laughs> Justice to the nations. Look, how, look at how this is going to go. Verse 19. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. This is the section of the passage that Matthew's getting at because Jesus is saying, Don't tell anybody what I'm doing, keep it quiet. Jesus' justice comes to pass quietly and unassumingly. He doesn't argue. He doesn't shout. He's not going to riot or start a military coup. What would happen if this was the litmus test for our political leaders in this country? What would happen if this was the litmus test for the uh, political personalities that we get our media from in this country? I, I, I ran across a, a clip again on Twitter this week, and the person that posted it, the caption was, he's so savage. And it was, a, it was a political commentator speaking his mind about a certain issue against another person or another issue, I, I don't know. 
but he's so savage is a compliment, right? Like, like why is that? Like, what if it was, he's so gracious. Watch him humbly and graciously preserve the dignity of his opponent while he speaks truth into their situation. We don't get that. We get, watch him destroy the opposition. It was, uh, we were having a, um, a work day in my community group and um, we were talking about politics and we were just talking about how the president is just kind of mean. Like, he just says mean stuff. And uh, I commented that I really want the Democrats to nominate someone who's equally mean so that when they debate, it's just a riot. And my 13-year-old daughter goes, Daddy, why would you want to do that? That sounds, that's not Christian at all. <laughs> and we're like, thanks, Karis. I appreciate that. <laughs> But this is this world that we live in, and, and this is not how Jesus does justice. He's quiet. He doesn't argue. He doesn't shout. He just gets it done. Look at verse 20. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. So a bruised reed, a reed would be a measuring tool, potentially, or um, a digging implement or some other kind of farming tool. And if it was bruised, it could bend, and then it might break. And so it was really pretty useless. And what you do with the bruised reed is you just break it in half and throw it in the fire. But Isaiah says that the, the servant of Yahweh, Jesus, he's not going to do that. See, we have a frightening tendency to look at people and value them based on their usefulness. This person has lost their usefulness. This person isn't worth as much because they cannot contribute as much to society. We kill thousands of babies in this country because we find out that they have Down syndrome. And I read about that I read about it from people that think that's okay. And the argument is, well, they'll never have a normal life. And what that, what that reveals to, to me is their life isn't going to be as useful as regular people. They're going to be a burden. And we make decisions like that. But Jesus isn't going to do that. Jesus is going to respond in the exact opposite way. What other people don't consider useful, he considers precious. He will not put out a smoldering wick. A smoldering wick is either on its way out or it never got off the ground. I grew up believing that anyone who is poor or lo lost a job or, or is, is somehow disadvantaged, if they just worked harder, they could get out of that because we live in America and anybody can do anything in America. And I've come to believe that that's just not true. 
that sometimes circumstances are out of your control and some people are not responsible for the situations that they've been placed in. And if anybody here is, it feels like, you know, they're, they just can't get it off the ground, whatever success looks like. Like, don't let that be your mark of value. Don't let, don't let people say, like, you are not worth something because you don't meet some standard that society wants you to meet. Because Jesus looks at you and values you. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. Jesus has an end game, not the Marvel movie. <laughs> but it's funny, like, we live in a world where, like, everybody thinks everything's getting better, right? Like, like human progress is just a constant upward trend line. But we also live in a world that thinks we're all random collections of molecules on an insignificant planet in an insignificant galaxy in a cold, dead universe that could care less about our lives. We're all functionally accidents, and life has no meaning. But we're going to get better and better and better and better. See, we have no basis for that. A, 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 a worldview that's built on the idea that uh, humanity is progressing, that's a Christian worldview. See, Jesus has an end game. Jesus' people, Jesus' kingdom is going somewhere. You can flip to the back of the book and read about it. It's glorious. But what we've done in our culture is we've said, yeah, I like that, but I don't like Jesus. So we're going to get rid of the king, but keep the kingdom. There can't be any kingdom without the king. Jesus is going to lead justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. Again, the nations. Every, Jesus brings hope to everyone. So that's great. That's awesome. Jesus is awesome. We love Jesus. We love the power of Jesus. We love the vision of Jesus we love the work of Jesus, but what if we're Jesus' people? What if we're people that say, I pledge my ultimate allegiance to Jesus the King? I am a Christian. I am one of Christ's ones. That's what that word means. How, how do we interact with the issue of justice? And I want to make one big point this morning. And that's this. In issues of justice, we should care. And I'm not gonna, I don't want to talk about policy. No, I don't, don't want to talk about Republicans and Democrats or libertarians and social, democratic socialists. I don't know what's on the other end there. Before we get to all that stuff, as followers of Jesus, we should be people that care. 
about issues of justice. So I want to talk briefly about five issues of justice, and I just, I, I just picked these five. I could, there's a, probably a hundred I could have picked, but I just want to bring it to our attention because I believe they're things that we as Christians should care about. And the first one is human trafficking. Human trafficking is, is the sell, sale or kidnapping of young people either into the sex trade or as slave labor. Estimates are that there are 40 million children involved in human trafficking globally. We identified and, and stopped the trafficking of 10,000 victims in the United States in 2017. Who knows how many we missed? And oddly, Spokane, Washington is kind of a hotbed for traffickers. This is a huge injustice that people are being greatly mistreated, and, and we should care about that. Secondly, abortion. The number of abortions is steadily going down. It's actually lower than it was before Roe versus Wade was passed. But there's still almost a million abortions every year in our country. And that means that there's almost a million mothers that have to deal with the agony of killing their child. We should care about that. Thirdly, systematic racism. I know there's voices in our country that say that this is not a thing, but African Americans own approximately one-tenth of the wealth of white Americans. They have a two-to-one unemployment ratio. Infant mortality is twice as high for black babies than white babies, and black men are incarcerated five times more often than white men. Regardless of politics and policy, like as Jesus' people... We should care about that. Number four is religious liberty. There are forces in our country and around the world that would seek to prevent us from worshiping our God the way that our conscience dictates. And we need to be people that stand up against that wherever we find it. And even when it's people that don't share our faith, our Jewish neighbors, our Muslim neighbors, our Hindu neighbors deserve the same kind of religious liberty in our country that we get. And then fifthly, immigration. The nations, ethnos, they come to America in droves. I've always thought we should be proud of that, that everybody wants to come to our house because it's so much cooler than theirs. The U.S. currently has 45 million immigrants 10 million of those are here illegally. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about the humanity of people, who, even who have broken the law. You may have read about uh, a, a raid in Mississippi earlier in the week where 680 immigrants were arrested. And the hardest part about that story is their children, many of their children were in school and they came home to empty houses and the good thing is a couple days later, our government decided the ones with ch children could be released to go back and care for their kids. That's the right thing to do. Immigration is something that's terribly broken 
And again, regardless of policies about the border and, and all of those things, as Christians, we should care. And we could talk about global poverty and gun violence and climate change and prison reform and healthcare and drug abuse and pornography and the foster system and a whole host of other things. But justice, making things right between people and society, this is something that Jesus cares about. This is something that Jesus, the King, is bringing about. And as his people, I think we have an obligation to be a part of it. So as we close, I have some, maybe some practical things that can help us. Because I think what happens is we can go one of two ways when we are faced with issues of justice. We can go like, that's too big a deal. I can't, I don't, I don't, I can't deal with that. I don't want to care about it. It's not my problem. It happens out there. We can ignore it. Or we can lose ourselves being so burdened by everything that's wrong with the world and it can drive us crazy. So the first thing I want to say is, is being made more like Jesus as a Christian, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. We are given the Holy Spirit and he makes us more like Jesus day by day. It's a slow process, but it happens but being made more like Jesus has to do with the kind of person we are becoming. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25 about sheep and goats. And it's the end of uh, the world. And, and the, sheep, the people that are called sheep are on his right hand and the people that are called goats are on his left hand. And he tells the goats that uh, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. I was naked and you didn't give me clothes. I was in prison and you didn't come visit me. And the people that he calls the goats are like, when did that happen? I don't remember that. And Jesus says, every time you didn't do it to the least of these, my people, you didn't do it to me. And they're judged. And the, the sheep, he says, I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink and I was uh, naked and you clothed me and I was in prison and you came and visited me. And the sheep, they ask the very same question. When did that happen? And Jesus says, when, when you did that to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And it's striking that both of these groups of people are largely unaware of the impact they're having on society. They're just living out of who they are, the kind of people they are becoming. And as Christians, the kind of people we should be becoming are people that see like Jesus sees, whether it's on an individual basis or on a global basis. And that's something that is being done inside of you. Second thing, Galatians 6.10 says that we should do good to all people, especially the people in the church, as we have opportunity. This is important. There, not, no one of us singly is going to fix giant national or global problems. It's not going to be fixed until Jesus returns and fixes it completely. But we're going to run across people they're suffering because of these things. We're going to have opportunity to engage in justice at a lot of different levels. And I think 
it's important for us to, instead of starting with what do I need to do here, the first question we should come to is what should I think about this? What's the heart of God for this situation? Number three, if, if you find yourself making excuses why certain things don't apply to you, consider your heart. Jesus tells a story that we call the Good Samaritan where he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody comes up and goes, I have a question. Who's my neighbor? Need some clarification. Jesus tells this story about a man who is despised by his people who comes and rescues someone in need, breaking all kinds of cultural barriers, spending his own money for an enemy. And he says, this guy is the neighbor. And so go and be like that guy. And the question that the audience member asks, who is my neighbor, is like, do I really have to care about this problem? I was reminded this week about being um, a teenager and a Christian. And a good question for a teenager who's a Christian, especially one who's in love, is the question, how far is too far? Anybody ever asked that question concerning their boyfriend or their girlfriend? I don't want to sin, but I want to come really, really close. That's the wrong kind of question. Like that, that shows that your heart is not in the right place. And, and in the Good Samaritan story, the question, well, yeah, but who really is my neighbor? It's the wrong kind of question. We should look far and wide for people to care about. Number four, you are not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And that means that you have a special role to play. God has called you maybe to be really passionate about a certain thing. And it really bothers you when no one else is passionate about that thing. But that might be something that God has given you to do to make a difference in the world. And it's important that you're a part of the body and it's important that you follow that calling, but you can't expect everybody else to be equally as passionate as you are about a certain issue of justice. God has different people excited about different things so that a lot of stuff gets done. Number five, it doesn't have to be my fault for me to care about it. This is something that I think progressives tend to get wrong if there's an injustice in the world, everyone is to blame. But there's all kinds of injustice here, and Jesus isn't to blame. Jesus didn't do anything wrong, and yet he went after it to fix it. And while I don't want to let everyone off the hook and say that no one is to blame for anything, because it's probably true that we are responsible for something, it's not always true. And we shouldn't we shouldn't be guilted into feeling like we are to blame for injustices that we have no control over. But we should feel empowered to do something about it in the spirit of Christ. And lastly, be informed about what's going on in the city, in the country, and in the world. And pray about it. When, when tragedies, lately when tragedies happen... In our country, we, 
people send out thoughts and prayers. And then other groups of people are like, thoughts and prayers aren't good enough. And I understand the point in certain issues, but prayer is powerful, you guys. Prayer changes history. And sometimes the best thing that we can do to fight against injustice is to be informed about it and to pray. One thing that I've been trying to make a habit of is I get all my news on my phone. And so I've got a news feed that updates every 10 minutes, it seems like, and it's got stories on it. And I just scroll through my stories and get angrier and angrier and angrier, right? What I've been trying to do instead is scroll through my stories and pray. How can I lift up these people that have suffered this tragedy? How can I pray for godly wisdom for our leadership? How can I uh, seek the heart and mind of God for this particular issue? Maybe that's not all we're called to do, but it's definitely not nothing, and it's powerful, and God hears our prayers, and God changes the world because we ask. So as we just meditate a little bit on this idea that Jesus came to bring justice to the nations, we're gonna we're gonna sing. The communion table is gonna be open. There's gonna be bread and wine or juice, your preference. And we take the Lord's Supper together because it reminds us of the work of Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus, like I said, he doesn't show up and and, and start a military coup to overthrow the government and bring justice that way. He defeats injustice on the cross by staring evil in the face, letting it overcome him in death, and then destroying it in his resurrection. And you and I, we benefit from that by being given freely new life in Christ. Just by saying, yes, Jesus, I want you. Yes, I am broken. I have gone my own way, but I want to come under your lordship. I want, to, I want you to save me. I want you to be my king. I want to be a part of your kingdom that only comes because you're bringing it. And that's where justice starts, in the heart of every person that bows their knee to Jesus, the king. And it spreads from there. And so, as we see Jesus championing justice for the nations or for just the the bruised reed, the smoldering wick, that one person that seems lost. My hope is that we would be people that, first of all, would go like, what does it look like for me to think the way Jesus thinks about things in the world? And then what does Jesus want me to do about it? Let's pray. 
Lord God, we, we worship you. God, you are greater than any of the problems that we see in the news, as overwhelming as they can be. And God, we rejoice in the fact that you have a plan, that the pain in our own lives, the pain that we see on the news, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we eagerly wait for you to return and fix it all in one word. But until then, you've left us here to be your representatives, to be your ambassadors, to be spirit-filled images of God doing your business in the world. And God, open our eyes to need in our friends, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our city, even in the country, in the world. And as we have opportunity, as we have means, as you have blessed us and called us, help us not be afraid to engage the brokenness the sin, the destruction that we see around us. And by your spirit, by your power, fight the battle against it. God, soften our hearts where they might be hard. Give us wisdom where there's confusion, clarity where things seem murky. And God, day by day, as we walk with you, just shape our hearts more and more in the name of Jesus. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.